for a scripture reading, turn with me to John 17. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 24. Let's back up one verse. Let me read verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. And the glory which Thou gavest me, I've given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and Thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you will, turn back with me now to John 17. If I have a targeted verse in these verses, it would be verse 24. And it's from that that I've taken my title, With Me, Where I Am. We've been reading and looking into this, these wonderful words of our great intercessor as he pours out his heart to his Father concerning the salvation of our souls and the glory of God as it's manifested in his accomplishment of it. This is what this prayer is all about. This is what intercession's all about. He's not up there pleading our cause. He's up there pleading the very glory of God. And this morning I want us to look at verses 20 through 24 on this subject, with me where I am. He says, Father, I will. You reckon he's going to get his way? I will. Boy, I tell you, when God says I will, you can write it down. That's how it's going to be. He said, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, those who are going to believe on me through the words of these apostles, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Here's why. That they may behold my glory. 
which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. The preeminent word throughout this prayer is the word give. Give. He uses that more than any other word. Give. It's used in almost every form of the word. Given. Gavest. Give. Salvation is the gift of God. That's what the scriptures say. It's the gift of God. God gives it to you. He gives it to you. And it's His gift to chosen sinners. What do I mean by that? I mean those chosen and set apart by God Himself according to God's purpose, God's way, given us, chose us, predestinated us under the adoption of children, set apart by God Himself, chosen in His Son, and blessed in that election and predestination beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. (coughs) We want to look at these little tidbits and call them blessings, and surely they are. Surely they are blessings. I don't want to take away from that. But these blessings that He's talking about back, back here in eternity past, these are real blessings. These are the blessings that bring about those little blessings in time. <laughs> These big blessings. He blessed us with all spiritual blessings. <coughs> the Apostle Paul quotes from Isaiah 64.4 in his letter to the Corinthian church. And he said, I have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. It's beyond your imagination. I'm telling you, you can't. It's never entered in. We, we know in little bits and pieces from the Word of God. But He said, God hath revealed them unto us by Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You and I are here this morning receiving a great privilege of God. I don't know if we realize that, but we we need reminded of it every week, don't we? This is a great privilege of God. He has, by an act of great mercy and kindness, assembled us together here. How did He do that? Through His providence. He arranges all that. Arrangement was made in all of its little... You can't even... It's like a maze. When you start looking back on it or try to look forward to it, it, it's like a maze. You can't... You go down here and... No, that's... And then you go here. You can't see it. But in every detail, He arranged all things that we be assembled here this morning in this place, in this building, at this time. Do you believe that? He's assembled us here in this place to hear what no other ear can hear without it. They're not going to hear down here. They're going to meet. They're going to assemble. 
a man going to stand and preach and they're going to sing him just like we did. Probably better. They'll have an orchestra. <laughs> They'll have real entertainers. But they won't hear. They won't hear. All they're going to hear is a man stand up and who knows what he's going to talk about. Here's what the Lord said. How shall you hear without a preacher? The Lord said that. He said that. The Holy Ghost inspired this man Paul to pen those words. How shall you hear without a preacher? But he didn't stop there. He said, how shall he preach if I don't send him? He can go. And he can beat the air. Paul said, I'm not as one of them that just beats the air. You know what that is? He gets all excited and waving his hands around, blabbering his lips and talking about nothing. When he gets done, he said nothing. I, I just kept... I went into a church one time and I sat there and I listened to this man. It was a funeral. And I listened to this man and I kept waiting on him to, to say something. And he never said anything. He just... He just talked. Talked about what he thought and what he felt and... This is a great privilege of God and He has by an act of mercy and kindness assembled us here in this place to hear what no ear can hear apart from it. How shall you hear without a preacher and how shall he preach except he be sent? And there is a divine glory attached to the assembling together in the preaching of the gospel. There's a divine glory. He said we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Listen to this. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. There's a glory attached to this thing. What kind of glory? Well, Paul said, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you obtain that glory? How do you become partakers of it? Through hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But there's a difficulty here that escapes the average hearer. And it may be the greatest deterrent to the salvation of men and women, and that is the mind of a sinner. He talks about a lot in the Scriptures. Could be we've read it and just read over it. Maybe we ought to pay some attention to it. I think it's there for a reason. Listen to this. The carnal mind. What mind is that? That's the one you're born with. That's, that's the one that the teachers, um, what's the word I'm hunting for? Appeal to. Natural intellect. 
the carnal mind is hostile. It's enmity against God. That mind you're born with. The carnal mind refuses to reason on God's terms. It won't do it. Now you, you can stack Scripture up around sinners like cordwood and they'll just get, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And they, and they never get past that. They'll just go on and on and on. The carnal mind refuses to reason on God's terms. It refuses to bow to God's way. It'll take any other way. I look at some of the things that they have men do today, walking down the aisle, signing pledge cards. That's to be sure they got enough money to build those big cathedrals. That's why you have to sign that little card. All these, kneel down and pray at a bench, shake somebody's hand, join the church. Some require that you speak in tongues and then they teach you how to do it. We'll do anything. Any other way except the way of God. We'll take anything. Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law of God. And while he's gone, they all got together, had a council meeting and said, look, we don't know where he went. He's up there somewhere pretending to talk to God. We don't know anything about him. He Just leave him alone. Here's what we're going to do. Aaron, you're going to make for us a golden calf. And then we're going to sit over here on the pedestal. And then we're all going to take our clothes off and get naked. And we're going to dance around the calf. Do what? That's just how ridiculous it is. And that's how ridiculous worship is apart from the Spirit of God. It's absolute impossibility. This carnal mind, it's enmity against God. It refuses to reason on God's terms. It refuses to bow to God's ways. It refuses to submit to God's means. God saves men by means. He don't just save them any way that you can conjure up in your head. He saves men a certain way. And He tells us what the way is. Does He not? The carnal mind refuses to submit to God's means. It refuses to follow God's directions. God says, do this. He says, well, no, wait a minute. No, ain't no wait a minute. Do this. That's what he said. Do this. No, I'm going to do something else. The carnal mind. You see what I'm saying? There's a great difficulty here, and we don't even think about it. We don't even talk about it. It's the carnal mind. There's a way, he said, that seemeth right unto a man. It's got no foundation in the, in the Word of God. It has no bearing on the person and work of Christ. It's got no eternal history or divine purpose. It has no power but that of a sinner. But it seemeth right unto a man. Paul writes to the saints at Ephesus. And he tells them, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because what's in there is junk. It's junk. Everything Paul had in his mind, he called it rubbish and he took it out and put it on the dung heap. Oh, may the Lord be pleased this morning to deliver us 
from thinking and reasoning in our flesh. To make us meet to be partakers of the inheritance with enlightened saints. Now back in verse 19 of our text here in John 17, the Lord says, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. This sanctification of himself that he's talking about is an offering of himself, a substitutionary sacrifice for chosen sinners, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And by way of this vicarious death, he conveys that spiritual knowledge necessary for eternal life. How, how am I going to know what God requires? All I have to do is look at the cross. There it is. There it is. How do I know God loves sinners? Look at the cross. How do I know God will punish sin? Look at the cross. How do I know God's just? Look at the cross. Everything worth knowing, we learn from that. And Christ said, I sanctify myself that they might be sanctified through the truth. All truth is coming from that cross. That's why Paul said, I've determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you ever come to know that, you won't have need to know anything else. That would be sufficient. All truth bubbles up from that. He sanctifies Himself that we might be sanctified through the truth. The mind of Christ, that's what He calls it all through Scripture, the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ serves the law of God, seeing that law fulfilled in Christ. I tell you, law, the law can do nothing to you in your natural state but condemn you. It's your worst enemy. You that seek to be under the law, Paul said, do you hear the law? Do you hear what it's saying? No flesh is going to be justified by the law. But where do people run? To the law. Going over to Mississippi one time to preach to that little group over there, and I can't remember the name of the town. It's one of the first ones outside of El Dorado, whatever that is. There's a church there on the left, and it has a sign that looks like a scroll. You, maybe you've seen them before. But the, a big white sign out there, and it's shaped exactly like a scroll, and has the Ten Commandments on it. And down at the bottom, it says, The Ten Commandments are enough for us. Oh, <laughs> well, they too much for me. Huh? You that desire to be, do you hear them all? The only way you can serve the law of God is with the mind of Christ. You see that law exalted. You see that law honored. You see that law completely fulfilled in Him. He's the priest. He's the king. He's the sacrifice. He's the blood. He's, he's the temple. He's all things. That law fulfilled in Him. When you're looking at Him, you're looking at the law honored and exalted. And with the mind of Christ, I can serve the law of God. It's the only way you can do it. Only way you can do it. It serves the law of God, seeing that law fulfilled in Christ, and the justice and righteousness of God satisfied in His life and death on the cross. 
Now, with these things in mind, I want us to look at verse 24 and consider three things. I want us to see a present and active application to this verse. I want us to see a godly exchange. And finally, an endearing prospect. So let's look first of all at a present and active application. Most of what we pray for is in the here and now. Present troubles, present needs, present feelings. But as our Lord uttered these words, it was from that time until time shall be no more. Heaven and earth going to pass away, he said, but my word's not going to pass away. They'll have as much meaning then as they do now. And here's what he says back in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for those also which shall believe on me through their work. This is the way God calls sinners out of darkness. Paul said, He called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. He was an apostle, and as an apostle he was called and taught by Christ Himself. And so it was with all the apostles. And Christ prays to his Father concerning these men given to him and tells us that I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me and they have received them. And now I pray for those also which shall believe on me through their word. The words are recorded in this book. The words are divinely inspired and the words are the very foundation on which our faith is built. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so it is that all who preach the gospel preach their word. The word here is singular. Not words. Word. It's singular here because it sums up the gist of the writings to him give all the prophets witness. Witness to what? That through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Acts 10.43 Through this man, Paul said, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This is God's way. This is how it's going to be until Christ returns. Sanctification of the Spirit, revealing, teaching, enabling, enlightening, and belief of the truth. And he tells us how shall you hear without a preacher. And our Lord prays for this to be effectual, and so it shall be unto the end. I pray for them also which shall believe on me through their word. This is an active and present activity, isn't it? This is what's going on. This is what's going on. What our Lord asks of the Father, He receives, and here He asks that their gospel may be effectual to the saving of every sinner given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to what end? That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe. That is, men and women in the world 
may believe. God has a people He chose in His Son, blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Him. It's a catchy saying adopted by this generation to say at restaurants and grocery stores and now even lumber companies, have a blessed day. I hate that. I just hate that. Every day for those chosen in Christ is a blessed day. Huh? That's what he said. He blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as He's chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. We're blessed. Every day is blessed. (coughs) The worst of circumstances leading up to their birth is a blessed genealogy. Read the genealogy of Christ. You might be shocked find out who's in that genealogy. Whores, tax collectors, my soul, read it. Even our troubles are blessed. Are they not? We glory in you, Paul said, for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. We glory in you. We know it's for your good and his glory. There's an end to these things. And it's a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be accounted worthy of the kingdom for which you also suffer. Even our troubles are blessed. And he says when we're weak, that's when we're strong. Even our weakness is a blessing. Oh, weary pilgrim of God, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all that? We have a blessed birth, a a blessed life, a blessed death. God's people are a people blessed in Christ, with whom full provision has been made. They're going to be saved. Well, what if? What if? What if? Take all them what ifs and put them on a silver cord and hang them on the neck of Christ. What if? There is no what if. You think God forgot something? No. Oh, blessed birth, blessed life, blessed death. God's people are blessed in Christ. And and their adoption is predestinated according to the good pleasure of His will. And that was in Christ too. It says, In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we're complete in Him. What a blessing. The chosen of Him are a family. And the family, they're the family of God. They're God's children, His children, His heirs. And they're one. They're one with the Father. We have one Father in common. We're one with the Son, one with the Spirit, one in a blessed union of God, one in understanding, one faith, one in eternal destiny. And this oneness and collective ministry of Christ is a means whereby this world is enabled of God. To believe there's no other way you can be saved of God than to be one with Him.
And not every individual in the world, he's already said he's not praying for the world as to its entire population, but for those given him out of the world, given him by the Father. And the world here is set in contrast to the chosen of God. It's in contrast. When God appeared to Abraham, what did he tell him to do? You remember? He said, get out of your country. Huh? What's wrong with my country? Why can't I do here what you want me to do there? Get out of your country. Listen to this. Here's the second thing he told you. Get away from your kindred. Why would God tell him that? Because they're his greatest enemies. They should be they of your own household. And all oh, listen to this. Get out of your father's house. <laughs> your father is an idolater. You ever had to come grips with that? I did. My dad was a Nazarene preacher. He was an idolater. I had to come to grips with that. You're not going to be welcome in your father's house. Boy, I come home smiling, happy. Oh, my soul, my sins were taken away. They're all taken away. Boy, I was, and I come home and told him the good news, and I might as well stuck a hot poker in his stomach. He, oh, his face turned red. He was angry and mad. Thought I'd been down to see a cult somewhere. Yeah, your father's house. And from that day, Abraham began a sojourn in this world, looking for and rejoicing in the world to come. God has one people. They're a blessed people. And they will exist together from all eternity. They will be together forever. Verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. All made perfect the same way in Christ. All called by the same Spirit. All hear the same gospel. Oh, may the Lord open our eyes and ears to this blessed reality. It's current and it's active right now. All right, here's the second thing he tells us. He shows us here a godly exchange. Verse 22. The glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Oh, what an exchange. Huh? That they may be one, even as we, Father, are one. What's this glory which is given him, and in return he gave to us? Well, it's not the glory of His deity. That glory belongs to God alone. And it's not the glory of His appointment as the one mediator between God and men, for it says expressly that there is but one mediator. The man Christ Jesus. And the glory here spoken of is His glorious gospel. It's the revelation of His person and work. 
the way God saves sinners. I've given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Words of salvation, words of life. And they have received them, and they've known surely that I come out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. Let me show you this over in 2 Thessalonians 2. I quoted this a while back. Down in verse 13. Right in the middle of the verse he said, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ conveys the light of the glory of God. It's the light of the glory of God. What's missing out here in the ministry? The glory of God. Ain't no glory. It's all self-glory. God's glory is not in it. Well, what's he talking about? The glory, the glory of his name, the glory of his mercy and grace, his love, his kindness, his justice, his righteousness, the glory of God. And we obtain this glory in the hearing of the gospel, and by faith we become partakers of the inheritance with other enlightened saints. That's our inheritance. What was given to Christ was given to Him to give to us. And what's given to us is given to us to give to as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then lastly, he prays, verse 24, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now he prays here that by all the means set in place and ordained of God, that all his elect be with him where he is. Where is he? Huh? Now, he's going to have his will. He didn't say, I hope. He said, I will. I will. And they shall, because he will. Let me give you three things to think about. With him where he is. First of all, he is at the Father's right hand, sitting upon the throne of Zion, having accomplished our redemption, provided for us a perfect righteousness, having reconciled us to God. He ascended back into glory where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. We're with him where he is in holy union. Right now. Right now. He said, I will that they be with me where I am. And it says in the Holy Scriptures that when He raised up Christ, He raised us up together with Him. Why? That we should be with Him where He is and behold His glory. Full provision was made in Him and full provision given. And even when we were dead in sins, He quickened us together with Christ. 
and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. To be with Him where He is is to be in a saving union with the Son and to be with Him or in Him, if you will, as our representative and substitute. To be with Him or in Him by an act of God's quickening power is to be with Him from the beginning all the way back to the covenant of grace. In His incarnation, in His divine obedience, in His suffering and death, and in Him in His exaltation. Of God, Paul said, are you in Christ Jesus? How'd you get in Christ? Well, I got in Christ when I walked down the aisle. No, you didn't. Of God are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Why? According as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Secondly, to be with him where he is speaks of the last day. When this world is dissolved and as the elements begin to melt with a fervent heat and eternal judgment begins to fall, he prays that his people be raised from the dead and ascend up to meet him in the air. You reckon they will? He said, I will. And they shall. That all those still living shall do the same. And that every believing soul be with Him where He is and be with Him forever and ever. Oh, to see Him as He is. Won't that be something? See Him as He is. Not in His humility. We've already seen that. But to see Him in all the glory of his father's house. It said we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then thirdly, where is he? I will, Father, that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Where is he? He's on the throne in glory. There's a divine union. We're with him in that respect. But where is he? Matthew eighteen twenty. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What's God's will in this matter of assembling? Huh? He already told you to be with him where he is. Why are we gathered here today? I want to be with him where he is. It's the will of our sovereign Savior that we be with him where he is. He said, Father, I will that that come to, to what end? Why should I come where a bunch of saints are gathered together? Why is that so important? To see his glory. Where is he going to unveil his glory? Out in the wilderness? Nope. No, in the tabernacle. In Israel. Anybody else going to see it? That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. What is this blessed treasure carried in these earthen vessels to which men and women discover the excellency of the power to be of God and not of man? It is the revelation of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. It is his unveiling of the mysteries hidden from generations. <laughs> How many times have you heard a preacher stand up and say something at a conference or somewhere and just say, that's what that means. It, it was a mystery to you. You read it and you had some thoughts about it, but you knew that wasn't it. And all of a sudden, boom, out it comes. That's it. That's it. Peter read Joel. He'd read the prophecies of Joel. He was raised a Jew. He heard the reading of the scriptures. But he didn't know what Joel was talking about until the day of Pentecost. And God gave him the words. And he said, this is what old Joel was talking about. <laughs> These men are not drunk like you suppose. This is the spirit of the living God being poured out on his church. This is what Joel was talking about. How many times? Have you heard a preacher say, here's what Isaiah was talking about. Boom, it just comes to light, don't it? Huh? He unveils his mysteries, deep secrets, hidden from this world. Had the princes of this world known it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But he reveals them unto us by his Spirit. Paul said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for his sake. You having trouble trying to find the will of God in this matter? Father, I will. <laughs> That's pretty plain, ain't it? That's pretty plain. Oh, I'll hang on to my excuses. You go ahead. You go ahead. But if you're looking for the will of God, here it is. Where two or more gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. That's where you need to be. Where is he? He's in the assembly of his saints. He's in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Where does he walk? In the midst of the candlesticks. What's that? That's his churches. That's what he says. What about his preacher? Oh, he holds the stars in his hands. Holds them in his hands. What's a star? He's put there for direction. There was a day when nobody could find anything apart from the stars. That's how they navigated, isn't it? Stars. They're there for direction. They're there for light. They're there for light. And they're there till the end of time. He's in the assembly of his saints. He's in the midst of the seven candlesticks. He holds the stars in his hands. And let me say this and I'll quit. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I'm not. What I'm trying to do is declare the message of this book. What you and I do with it is between us and God. I'll take my stand with Paul the Apostle who said this about what he preached. By manifestation of the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You take what I said, and you look at the Word of God, and I'll let that stand on your own conscience between you and God. You make up your own mind. But is not this prayer a call to every member of this church? Be here as often as you can 
Huh? Isn't that what he said? That's what he thought. And he said, I will. I will. You want to know the will of God? There it is. Be here. Oh, may the Lord burn these words in our hearts. And even more than that, make us obedient to them. Only He can. Only He can. He, he can give you an appetite. I tell you, when I'm really hungry, I'm not going to be late for supper. I just think, boy, when I get hungry, I'm pacing the floor. I open the door. What time supper going to be ready? I'll get it. Well, I know, but what time? When? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Oh, that God will give us an appetite for His gospel and His son.